Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Presented by Sheikh Jalal al-Shami. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. First of all, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us all in these blessed days of Dhul-Hijjah to do righteous actions that please Him. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to benefit the most that we can in these blessed days uh, with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and prayers, extra prayers, fasting, charity, reading of Qur'an and all the deeds that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is pleased with. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and to allow us uh, to fulfill the the يعني, and live to to uh, live further and make the righteous occasions as next Friday inshallah is the day of Arafah and so I remind myself and my brothers to make sure that they fast especially the day of Arafah uh, as it is the forgiveness of the previous year of sins and the future year of sins and then inshallah on Saturday will be the day of Eid Eid al-Adha the great Eid inshallah ta'ala now, whenever we speak about, or whenever uh, this time of the year comes, uh, the days of Dhul-Hijjah, the month of Dhul-Hijjah approaches, uh, it fills the heart of every Muslim with excitement. Because it reminds them of Hajj. And Hajj is the, is the wish of every Muslim. Whether he has performed Hajj before, or he has never performed Hajj. Even for those who perform Hajj before, they long to go to Hajj again and again. And so, of the greatest actions to do is to perform Hajj. And even to perform Hajj, the obligatory and the recommended, to perform Hajj, the obligatory Hajj, and then to do additional Hajj. And the Prophet uh, that follow up between Hajj and Umrah. You know, do one Umrah and then do another Umrah whenever you can, and do a Hajj and another Hajj. Uh, if you can, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes that in your ability. Even those who, who may not have the ability to do Hajj, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His, His graciousness and His generosity and His mercy is vast. And so that we hope that in these days, of Dhul-Hijjah, we can do deeds that are similar to the deeds of Hajj. In terms of fulfilling and glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in terms of uh, fasting that of day of Arafah, in terms of making the Udhiyah. So there are similar actions that we can do. Uh, if they are not the Hajj, then we hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by His grace can give us Similar to the reward of Hajj and the forgiveness that we hope to seek in Hajj. Now, inshallah, today's lesson, we want to speak about the rituals of Hajj and the common mistakes that uh, some people fall into when they perform Hajj. So, this is good uh, for those who have done Hajj before, so they can look and, and, and uh, take into account their previous deeds and maybe ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness for something that they may have done and they were heedless of, and for those who have never performed hajj, to beware of them so that they don't do them, even though some of these actions, as we say, they're misconceptions. So what does it mean by that? 
means that you'll find some Muslims doing it, not knowing that it's something forbidden, or not understanding the gravity of it. So a lot of Muslims, they do something, they say, oh, because I saw someone else do it. Or uh, everyone does it, so they think it's okay to do. So it doesn't make it okay to do if people uh, يعني, are not doing the right thing because of ignorance, or they want to, يعني, or because of some weaknesses that they have, and looking for an easy way out. Of course, if there is an easy way out that's halal, there's no problem. But an easy way out that goes against the instructions of the sharia or some exceptions that apply to some people don't apply to others. But some people, they want to, يعني, to take these exemptions even though they don't, uh, يعني, uh, they're not justified and they're not uh, uh, يعني, worthy of those concessions. Okay, so of the things... Uh, the Sheikh mentions here in the book <coughs> Number one, believing it is obligatory to pray two rakat upon entering ihram Which is called Sunnat al-Ihram It's called by definition Sunnat al-Ihram And there is debate among the scholars Whether this is an established sunnah or not uh, Or whether it is something that's, that's specific to the maqam uh, The maqam of Dhul Hulayfa uh, But never the case uh, whatever the case may be Then uh, it is uh, In all cases it is sunnah But some people they take it as an obligatory And this is something they will have to be aware of So there is no proof that it's obligatory to pray to When assuming the ihram Rather the Prophet Wasallam used to don the ihram After praying an obligatory prayer So it's sunnah to don the ihram after an obligatory prayer some of the scholars have said that it's recommended to pray turaqah of ihram before entering ihram for pilgrimage. This is based on the authentic narration which Jibreel said to the Prophet ﷺ, Pray in this blessed valley and say umrah along with hajj. So some scholars, they interpreted it to be only for that specific place, the miqat of Dhul Hulayfa, because it's in the blessed valley. Uh, so some said it's specific, some said it's general for any time a person is taking ihram. Or generally, uh, a person should take on ihram after they perform an obligatory prayer. Because a person can take on ihram not necessarily from the miqat of Dhul Hulayfa, the miqat of Medina. There are seven miqats that a person can take the, uh, the ihram from. And for example, if we're flying from Australia and we're heading straight into Mecca, we, we will go, for example, from Sydney to... Uh, the Gulf region, so either to Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Qatar or something like that, and then fly into Jeddah to, fl- to, to get into Mecca. So in reality, we cross over the miqat of the people of Iraq, and that's where we assume our ihram from in that case. And that miqat is called Qarnul Manazil. So it would be in the airplane and make our intention for ihram. And there's, not necess- there's no necessity to pray to Raka'a for ihram. Some people, they'll go and they'll uh, 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 make the intention for ihram from the airport. And I've seen this when we went to Hajj and Umrah before, where some groups that were on the same flight, they would wear the ihram clothes and make the, the talbiyah and pray there at the airport before getting on the plane. Now, it's not from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to take the ihram before the miqat. You yani need to make the intention of the ihram before the miqat. Uh, and some may do that so that either to be more convenient, which is no problem with that, and just in case someone falls asleep the airplane, they miss the miqat, which could be a problem. So that way they make sure everyone makes their intentions. 
if that is the reason, that's okay. But if they do it because they believe it's more virtuous and they have more time in ihram, then this goes against the sunnah. And this would be an innovation. But if someone as well takes it so that he can pray the turukah sunnah and make it sort of like it's, it's, it's something that's obligatory, then uh, this is as well uh, not correct because not obligatory to pray the, uh, the sunnah of, uh, of ihram or nafl ihram. So this hadith, if anything, it's used to show that it's optional, it's not obligatory. Okay? The next thing is having apathy towards engaging in prohibitions while in a state of ihram. And some people don't care. When you get in a state of ihram, there's certain things that you can't do. You can't cut your hair, you can't cut your nails, you can't put on perfume, you can't speak about sexual, uh, things of sexual nature with your spouse. Some people, they don't take these issues seriously. Uh, you can't cover your head. Some people, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes make it as a joke and they'll purposely you know, do things that are sort of borderline. You know, a part of the ihram is to honor the, the limitations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ذَلِكَ وَمَنْ يُعَظِّمْ شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا مِنْ تَقْوَى الْقُلُوبِ Honoring the, the symbols of Allah, the, the, the standards of Allah, then this is a sign of the piety of the hearts. And so... It's not uh, befitting of a Muslim to show disregard to uh, the prohibited things of the ihram. So this is the same as apathy towards the obligations of hajj. Thus it is obligatory to learn the various prohibitions during the state of ihram. These are the things that a person must avoid while in a state of ihram. For example, Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, وَلَا تَحْلِقُوا رُؤُوسَكُمْ حَتَّى يَبَلُغَ الْهَدْيُ مَحِلَّةِ and do not shave your head until the sacrificial animal reaches. Pardon me. Do not shave your head until the sacrificial animal reaches the place of sacrifice. So a person isn't allowed to shave his head, for example. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, uh, <laughs> Uh, the Prophet وسلم, he said, the muhrim, the person who's in a state of ihram, should not wear a shirt, should not wear trousers, or a hooded garment, or leather socks, except one who cannot find sandals, in which case he may wear leather socks, but he should cut them so that they are lower than the ankles, and do not wear any clothes that have been dyed with saffron or waris, which is a, a, a yellow dye as well. So some people, they may, not, they, they may feel uncomfortable with the ihram. And they say, you know, can't we just wear trousers? Can I at least wear underwear? Can't I uh, wear shoes or whatever it may be? Uh, so part of honoring the ihram is sticking by these rules. And some people say, well, I'm going to wear them anyway. And I'll pay a penalty. Yani, uh, unfortunately, this issue of breaking the rules of ihram and paying the penalty. The penalty is offering a, a, a sheep as a sacrifice. So with a sheep, doesn't matter, I've got a lot of money. Yalla, $500 here, 500 riyals here, I'll pay so that I don't have to wear ihram, I go in my comfortable clothes, my comfortable shoes, I don't stay in mina, I don't do the jamarat, yalla, kullu dam, 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 dam. All they do is that they, they slaughter, offer blood, offer blood, offer blood. And this, inshallah, we'll, speak, we'll see some people Yani their hajj, yani it's, it's really a joke. Yani the penalties that have been put in place for the one who 
tried to do them but wasn't able to do them, or because of some extenuating circumstance, someone who just willy-nilly just uh, doesn't take seriously the limitations of the Hajj and what Allah has made prohibited, or the obligations of the Hajj, and just says, I'll slaughter instead, I have a lot of money, I'll slaughter Allahu Alam, whether his Hajj, and some say maybe technically his Hajj is valid, but whether he'll have any reward. Because it's not about this doing the outward action. It's about the taqwa of the heart. Like when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He spoke about making the sacrifice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, The flesh of the animal that you sacrifice and the blood of the animal doesn't reach Allah. Allah doesn't need the blood and the blood that you spill in the sacrifice or the meat that people benefit and feed off. Allah doesn't need it. But why does Allah order these things? To see who fears Allah. And honoring the limitations of Allah. Honoring the symbols of Allah and the limitations of Allah and the rituals that Allah has, 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 has legislated for us. This is part of taqwa. So the one who doesn't give regard to these rituals and the rites of the hajj and the limitations and the prohibitions and the commands, then this shows uh, uh, an absence or at least a very low standard of taqwa. And it is based on taqwa that a person's actions are accepted by Allah. As Allah Ta'ala mentions uh, in Surah Al-Ma'id in the story of of the two sons of Adam, Allah only accepts from those who show piety. Allah doesn't need your prayers. Allah doesn't need your fasting. Allah doesn't need your charity. Why do we do these? To show and demonstrate our taqwa. The more we demonstrate our taqwa, the more we'll get rewarded from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will accept our deeds. Sorry. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set some prohibitions for the one who is in ihram, so it is not befitting for a person just to ignore them. There are some of the prohibitions, these are some of the prohibitions, and it is obligatory to learn the remaining prohibitions and to avoid them in order to safeguard the hajj and receive the complete reward for it. The third issue that many Muslims uh, uh, have a misconception when it comes to hajj is a woman not covering properly in front of unrelated men. So some women, they go to Hajj and maybe they don't cover properly. You know, they, they, they wear clothes and they think, oh, because it's Hajj, you know, no one's going to look or it doesn't matter, whatever the case may be. It is obligatory upon the woman to cover uh, her entire body in the presence of non-related men. Marriageable men during Hajj and outside of Hajj. But during Hajj, if the woman is not in the presence of, of non-related men, then uh, she... Un- uh, she uncovers uh, يعني, uh, even her face as authentically narrated from Aisha radiallahu anha, uh, which the narration is in Abu Dawood, that she said, Kunna she said, Aisha radiallahu anha, when they were performing hajj with the Rasulullah sallallahu when they were on the way traveling, she said, when riders would pass us, when we accompanied the Rasulullah sallallahu and we were in a state of ihram, when they would come by us, 
one of us would let down her outer garment from her head to cover her face. And when they passed on, we would uncover our faces. So this is how much يعني, they would make sure that they covered themselves, even though covering the face is not, uh, يعني, uh, covering the face not obligatory during the Hajj. And wearing the niqab is one of the prohibitions. But they would يعني, make the, the, the cloth of, the, of their headscarf go down. Okay, so if I was wearing a, a cloth, I would show you how. They would just make it go down. Not wearing a niqab the, the way that the niqab is worn by our sisters. Okay, so they wouldn't wear a niqab, but they would just pull down the, the cloth from their headscarf to cover their faces when the men would pass. So that's how يعني, careful the wives of the Messenger وسلم, were in covering even that which isn't obligated to be covered during the, during, the, during the hajj. Then how about the rest of the body? Point number four. Women wearing clothes which resemble men's clothes. Unfortunately... Some people have this idea. They see the men wearing the white ihram, the women they want to wear white ihram too. And they'll go and they wear clothes very similar to the men. Uh, and this is prohibited. The women are commanded by legislation of Islam to avoid resembling men in their dress and appearance generally. Women shouldn't wear clothing that if you were to look at them, you think it's a man. There's clothing in every culture and in every uh, uh, place that is common for men and common for women. But if you were to see the person from far, you know this is a man, you know this is a woman. It's not allowed for a woman to wear clothing that people would assume that it, it's a man wearing it. Some women wear clothes that resemble men's clothing or robes resembling men's robes. Women don't have any specific garments for ihram while she is categorically prohibited from imitating men. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, he said, لَعَنَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ الْمُتَشَبِّهِينَ مِنَ الرِّجَالِ بِالنِّسَاءِ وَالْمُتَشَبِّهَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ بِالرِّجَالِ The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم cursed men who imitate women and women who imitate men. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar mentioned in his explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, some of the scholars have said that what is meant by prohibited resembling is resembling men in their garb, some manly characteristics, movements and the like, not meaning resembling men in the affairs of good. Okay, another thing that we find common, especially these days, is taking photographs when doing the worships. You find people standing in front of the Kaaba pretending to make dua, or pretending to pray, or pretending to read Quran. Or in every place, take photo, either selfie, or get someone to take a photo, whether they're actually doing the worship or pretending to do the worship. All of this is not appropriate. Taking photos during the rites of Hajj has pictures for mementos as well. Sometimes they take staged pictures or even they go to studios to take pictures. Everyone standing with like a picture in the background of the Kaaba and making dua, whatever, so that they can uh, develop it and make it a big photo and put it in their house or something like that. This is all not appropriate. So because generally pictures are something to be avoided in Islam. Picture making is something that is... Uh, 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 disproved in Islam especially pictures that are displayed publicly and especially when it involves something that could affect the intention of a person so that people see them and think well of them and think of them to be righteous and so on the evidence has proven that pictures of all types are not permissible the evidence of the prohibition of pictures is general and it does not specify any certain type of picture the, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, إِنَّ أَشَدَّ النَّاسِ عَذَابًا يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَ الْمُصَوِّرُونَ 
that the, verily the most severely punished people on the day of judgment will, the, will be the picture makers. So the hadith said generally those who make pictures. So even though some said it's specifically those who make idols, pictures to be worshipped. But the, but the hadith, the wording of the hadith is general. So the Muslim should avoid taking any form of picture making, even if it's photography, right? Because it falls into the general uh, uh, wording of the hadith. To be on the safer side, even though the hadith is pertaining more specifically to that, but it doesn't exclude the general pictures that people take, especially the ones that are publicly displayed. In Arabic, the word al-musawwirun means picture maker. is known as ism fa'il. The definite article is attached to it. Thus, the form of the Arabic language shows that it's general to include all types of pictures. And it's not permissible... Is not a permissible type of picture except of pictures of objects that do, that do not contain souls. The evidence proves that taking pictures of objects without souls is permissible. So you find some people, subhanAllah, they say, okay, I can't take pictures of people, I want to take a picture of the Kaaba. How many pictures of the Kaaba is already available? I want to take a picture of the Kaaba, I want to take a picture of the Masjid, I want to take... How many pictures are already available? Why do you need to take another picture for? Is your picture going to be different? Some people that come and they take a certain angle and the maghrib time and the orange sky and the, the buildings in the background. Why? Don't make this, don't get occupied in this and, and, you, and you don't neglect your prayers or ne- neglect other actions that you could be doing instead. There's so many pictures. You just download them from the internet. You can buy it from the shop already, pictures already, postcards or whatever. And who asked now pictures become so much, you don't even look at them. You take pictures and Allahu Alam where it goes with the old phone that died or with the memory card, Allahu Alam where it is. And then you look at it and they want. Take the pictures, in the memories in your mind. The evidence proves that taking pictures of objects without souls is permissible. The word pictures includes photographs based upon the language and the custom. Thus, it is included in the prohibition. The prohibition of picture making includes means that facilitate picture making and that which is prohibited in order to block a path to haram is allowed uh, when there is prevailing benefit. For this reason, pictures of identification cards, licenses and the like are allowed due to the benefit and there being no alternative, although it is hated and not advised, and Allah knows best. Okay. Okay. Another thing that we find people doing when they go to Hajj or Umrah is kissing or rubbing the walls and the door of the Kaaba. You find people surrounding the whole Kaaba, rubbing, putting their hands, standing along all the part of the Kaaba, 24 hours people rushing, fighting each other, when one person leaves, another person immediately takes his spot, touching all parts of the Kaaba that they can get to, rubbing it, believing that they can get mercy mercy and blessings, they'll get an article of clothing, they'll get their hat and rub it, they'll keep you know, a prayer mat, under, you know, they'll come and they'll rub it, a piece of a cloth or, or clothing, they'll come and rub it, thinking that it's going to get blessing, and then they take it home, they say, look this carpet, I rubbed it on the Kaaba, and so what? And then if you pray on it, it's going to have something, something special. No. Rasulullah did not touch any part of the Kaaba except for the two corners. Only the two Yemeni corners, which is the Yemeni corner and the corner that has the, the black stone. 
He didn't touch any other part of the Kaaba. So that's the only part of the Kaaba that were allowed to touch. And he only rubbed the Yemeni corner and the black stone, he kissed it or he touched it or he signed to it. That's all. He made, raised his hand towards it. All the other parts, unfortunately, how many Muslims, they do that and they rush and they crush each other and so on. And wallahi, I've gone to try to go close to the black stone. Yani, so much because they believe that there is some blessing in it. If they didn't have this misconception, there would be so much order. If people followed the sunnah, then there wouldn't be so much chaos. And as well, if they knew the harm that they are causing to themselves or others by crowding, even Rasulullah if he couldn't reach the Kaaba because of the crowding, he would just indicate to it. But some people, it's like they, if they, if they get there, it's as if they've achieved something great. Even though it is a good worship, if it's easy for you to get there, if it's not easy, leave it. Don't have this obsession. I'll tell you a funny story. You want a funny story? Every time we take the brothers to Hajj and Umrah, we tell them this same thing. That the black stone it has virtues and so on, but uh, because of the crowding, it's better not to. And inshallah, Allah will reward you, inshallah, even more, if you have the intention to go, but you leave it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For the sake of you not causing yourself harm or harming others. But then some of the brothers ask me, why are people rushing there? What's the virtue of it? And I mentioned some of the virtues of the black stone. The black stone, it's, it's from Jannah. And it was only turned black from the sins of the people. And so it's hope that when, if you kiss or touch the black stone, that your sins are forgiven. And there's a hadith that says, that whoever touches or kisses the black stone, it will witness for them on the day of judgment. And another narration that says that the black stone is the right hand of Allah on the earth. Yameenullahi fil ard. And you know, back in the olden days, when they wanted to uh, give allegiance to the king, what would they do? They wouldn't kiss his hand. They would kiss the stone of his of his ring. And what does, that, what does that demonstrate? If you kiss the ring of the, uh, 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 if you kiss the stone of the ring of the king, it means that you have given your allegiance to him. You've given your life to him. So if you kiss the black stone, it's as if you are saying, Oh Allah, I am one of your dedicated servants. So after I say this, all that talk of leaving the black stone goes out of their head. And they want to go and so they went without telling me, because we can't withhold the knowledge. But at the same time we told them, don't go, it's better not to go, because you're going to cause crowding and hurt yourself and hurt others. Then the brother, one brother, he went without saying, and he went and he got in, and then a short while later, he comes back to the hotel and he tells the brothers, kiss my lips, kiss my lips. They said, what are you talking about? He said, I kissed the black stone. He kissed my lips like he kissed the black stone. <laughs> and so they said, you went. And so all of them, they said, they'll go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he got them all g up. So they all went down 
I told them, brothers, didn't I tell you not to go? They say, Sheikh, we didn't hurt anyone. We just went. We didn't push anyone. We didn't get hurt and we didn't hurt anyone because we didn't push anyone because we're just standing there. We didn't push. I say, but you just being there, you add to the crushing. And I, يعني, how many times, alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed me living there for four years, performing hajj and umrah many times, alhamdulillah. The times I, I, I went down can be يعني, very, very few times. And sometimes because I saw how sad the situation is and how much people are suffering, this is not correct. I just يعني, left, uh, left that. يعني, subhanallah. Sometimes it's important to look at the bigger picture and, the, and, and, and what's يعني, more. Yes, there are virtues in it, but wallahi, Allah knows our intention. Allah knows how much we'd love to if we have the opportunity. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he will give us the reward, if not more, for, يعني, for not uh, يعني, uh, endangering ourselves or adding to the commotion and the, and, and the uh, يعني, crushing that happens there. المهم. So kissing and rubbing the walls and the doors of the Kaaba. <coughs> All of these actions are innovations, touching, as I said, because the Prophet ﷺ, he only touched where? Only the two corners. No other part of the Kaaba should be touched. So believing that there's virtue in any part of the Kaaba is it has no foundation in the Sunnah. So if it has no foundation, it's not legislated, it is an innovation. And of the newly invented matters, as for rubbing the stones and various doors of the Kaaba, uh, seeking blessings from the stones and the walls, then this is shirk. Because Umar anhu, when he came to the black stone and he kissed the black stone, he said, Inni قبلتك. He said that when he kissed the black stone, he said, I know that you are just merely a stone. You provide no benefit and you don't cause any harm. But had I not seen Rasulullah kiss you, I would never have kissed you. So we only kiss the black stone, not believing that it, it in and of itself has any benefit or blessing, but it's just a way of imitating the practice of Rasulullah. So we get rewarded for following the way of the Prophet. So to believe that there's blessings, as I said, people rubbing their hats and their clothes and their prayer mats and so on, believing that it's somehow going to be more, more blessed and more virtuous and to pray now on this prayer mat is somehow going to be better for you and your prayers are going to be more accepted. All of this uh, has no basis of innovation and is in the stem of shirk. This is because seeking blessings is to seek benefit and goodness and this cannot be sought from stones and wood. This was mentioned in the section of Aqidah uh, in the Hadith of Dhatu Anwat and the proof and the evidence for this matter is clear. As for the walls of the Kaaba, it is not legisla legislated to rub them. It is only legislated to kiss and rub the black stone and to touch the Yemeni corner. It has been affirmed in the Sunnah that the, that the person may place his chest or cheek or forearm or body on the Multazam, on the place of clinging. And this has been narrated in the Sunnah, it is prescribed to do so as it has been done by the Prophet. ﷺ. As for the other walls of the Kaaba, its pillars, its curtains, wiping on them, kissing them, it, it is an innovation. How wonderful is the retraction of Muawiyah from wiping the two corners of the Kaaba on the side of a sham and accepting the statement of Ibn Abbas? So, so Muawiyah went and wiped the corners 
that are facing a sham, the opposite direction. Where you see the Hijr of Ismail, what's called the Hijr of Ismail. He wiped those corners. Abdullah bin Abbas refuted him. And Muawiyah said, there is no spot on the sacred house to be abandoned. Ibn Abbas, he said, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ Indeed, there is in the Messenger of Allah the best of examples. And then Muawiyah said, you have spoken the truth. In a similar fashion, it is upon the Muslim to return to the affirmed sunnah and abandon innovation and newly invented matters. So the Prophet ﷺ only touched, as I said, the two Yemeni-facing corners, which is the Yemeni corner and the corner that has the black stone, as I have explained. Facing Mount Arafah and supplicating with dua or climbing Mount Arafah as an act of worship. This is also a misconception. Some people think that to go to Hajj you have to climb that mountain. Or to uh, make dua in the direction of the mountain. This is all uh, not from the sunnah. There's nothing part of the religion that you have to go to the mountain that's in Arafah. Arafah is actually a flat plain. It has a mountain which the people have named Jabal al-Rahmah. But it's not, it has no religious significance in and of itself. Okay? Uh, the Mount Arafah is not specified with any particular virtue. The Messenger of Allah stood on it, uh, placing it in front of him in the direction of the Qibla, and he said, يعني, The Prophet stood behind the mountain of Arafah, but he said, I have stood here, but anywhere you stand, it's part of Arafah. You don't have to stand here. He said, I'm standing here, but all of Arafah is a place of standing. Therefore, facing it while making dua on the day of Arafah or other days has no special virtue. So even, even for example, outside of the Hajj days, you'll find people going there, climbing the mountain, making dua, writing their names on the rocks, writing their names on the pillar that's on top of the mountain. You know, and, and rubbing it and seeking blessing from it, all of this has no reason. Nor is there any reason for supplication being accepted. It's not that if you make dua on that mountain, your dua will be accepted. There's nothing to prove that in the sunnah. Rather, if a person adheres to this practice and believes it's more virtuous, this action becomes an innovation. Climbing Mount Arafah as an act of worship and drawing near to Allah is an innovation which was not done by the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ did not climb this mount. Rather, he, he only stood behind it. Thus, climbing it is an act of worship. As it has been witnessed, the people crowding upon it is an innovation and newly invented matter. And every innovation is misguidance. May Allah enlighten the insight of the Muslims. So some people, they will come and specifically go and climb that mountain and stay there the whole day. Imagine staying there the whole day. They won't leave. Even to go to the toilet, they won't leave. So you can imagine, they go to the toilet there in that place. Just for believing that it's something special to be there. This is not appropriate at all. People sitting there and they get uncomfortable. It's, it's a mountain, it's all rocks. And so they can't sit there and their aura becomes uncovered. They're sitting on top of the mountain and people can see them. Even sometimes uncovering the aura. Just so they don't leave that place. This is not, uh, yeah, and there's no religious benefit in doing that whatsoever. Uh, point number eight, visiting some of the monuments that are not prescribed to visit as an act of worship, such as visiting the cave of Hira. 
So some people will go and climb the mountain, what's called Jabal al-Nur, and they go into the cave of Hira, where the angel Jibreel uh, salam, gave the first revelation to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This has no religious benefit whatsoever. Some people will go to Hajj and Umrah, they say, can we go to the mountain? I go, why do you want to go to the mountain for? Do you think Jibreel is going to meet you to give you revelation? There's no benefit in going there. I remember the first time I went to Umrah, we went there. We went there. And we climbing part of the mountain, just the base part of the mountain, I thought, خلص, يعني, I thought we, we got there. And when I realized this only the base part, still the main part is very, very steep. Already we got so tired. And then we walked back down. So this is a waste of time. Yani this effort and, and, and energy that you put and the time that you waste, you could be doing tawaf and getting reward in Mecca. Instead climbing a mountain that has no rewards in it, no religious benefit. Rasulullah never came back to that mountain after Jibreel gave him the revelation. The Sahaba never went there. The Prophet never ordered or encouraged anyone to go there. Why should you go there then? Climb uh, any mountain, there's no difference between it and any other mountain. Some people they say, just so that we can see, just so we can know, you don't need. Do that which benefits you. And this is sometimes from the deception of shaitan to, to mislead you and distract you. Uh, instead of doing that which benefits to that which has less benefit or no benefit. So going to the cave of Hira and you find people, you see photos or you see videos of people who go there. You can find it on YouTube. Many people go there and they go, oh, alhamdulillah, we made it to the top like they've done some great mission. And they go and they pray, they pray there. Why do you need to pray there for? Just to look out for the sake of Allah and they'll come and make dua there like as if the dua is special there or anything like that. There's no benefit whatsoever like this. And this is the problem of innovation. That one thing leads to another and they come and write their names on the rock. I don't know why. They think in the rock is going to make dua for them. I don't know. All of this is innovation and newly invented matters. The, the Messenger of Allah did not go to any of these monuments, nor did his companions or any of those who followed the companions. And they preceded us to good and were more virtuous than those that followed them. Exalting monuments by visiting them is a means to shirk. And that's why when you find people go there, they start rubbing on the rocks and thinking it's blessing and they put their prayer mat there on the floor and they pray there and then they take that prayer mat. This is the prayer mat I prayed in the cave of Hira. This is something special. I will always never wash it because it's always then the blessing will be, you know, washed away. For this reason, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu saw people praying in a place. They said the Prophet ﷺ used to pray and he said, Verily those who came before you were only destroyed by the like of this following the remnants of their prophets. So just because the Prophet ﷺ prayed here doesn't mean that we have to pray here. Because when a person just makes that a habit then it becomes something that leads to an innovation can lead to shirk. We only pray in the places that Rasulullah ﷺ told us that it's virtuous to pray in or encourage us or order us because there's a religious benefit in doing it. Believing that wearing white during ihram is better for women as well. This is something like what we mentioned before, that there's no specific clothing for women. Women will just wear their normal clothing. Women don't need to wear white when they are doing ihram because this could be a form of imitating the men. 
So this is a common mistake of people that women are, uh, 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 the woman is not prohibited from wearing her garments during ihram with the exception of the gloves and the niqab. So a woman just wears her normal clothes. Just She doesn't wear niqab if she normally does and she doesn't wear gloves if she normally does. With the exception of these two, her clothes are permitted and there is not a particular type of clothing which is better than another type of clothing. The clothes of the woman should not display her beauty and the beauty of her body or the shape of her body to show her forearms or shins. Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu said the Prophet sallallahu said The Prophet forbade women in the sacred state of ihram to wear gloves or face veils or to wear clothes with dye of wars and saffron on them. The women should not wear clothes stained with dye or clothes with adornments. When Ali radiallahu anhu entered upon Fatima, he found that she had adorned a dyed garment and placed kuhul on her eyes. He disapproved of this because he was not aware that she had exited from the state of ihram at the command of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa where uh, and it's narrated that Ali radiallahu anhu came from Yemen with the animals of sacrifice while the Messenger of Allah وسلم, brought an animal for sacrifice from Al-Madinah. Fatima had put a dyed garment and applied kuhul uh, to her eyes and Ali radiallahu anhu said, I went to the Prophet وسلم, to complain about that and to ask whether she could do that. I said, O Messenger of Allah, Fatima had put a dyed garment and applied kuhul to her eyes and she said, my father told me to do that. He said, she is telling the truth, she is telling the truth, she is telling the truth. I told her to do that. Thus it was as though it is affirmed amongst them that the woman is prohibited from wearing dyed clothes with adornments during the state of ihram. But after that, she can wear any color clothing she likes and various types of silk and garments as long as it completely covers her body and uh, f- uh, her body from non-related men. Okay, I don't want to take too much time. Because uh, we still have, you know, there's still other topics to, to cover in regards to Hajj. So, uh, you know, perhaps we'll cover these other issues on a different occasion. Allahu alam wa sallallahu sallam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Jazakumullah khairan. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.